hear the word of the Lord from the prophet Isaiah, reading from chapter 43 and verses 14 to 21. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans and the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. One of the uh, great lessons of the prophet Isaiah is that he is uh, teaching us about our present journey in the faith uh, as he speaks to the great promises of uh, God to uh, a nation which will soon find itself in the Babylonian captivity. Uh, Just as Israel in Egypt and in Babylon uh, lived uh, under the tyranny of uh, pagan, idolatrous uh, rulers, uh, you and I do as well uh, this day. We live in enemy country. Uh, We are aliens, uh, the apostles tell us. Uh, We live in a strange land, and we are constantly being tempted to compromise our faith. Uh, And as well, we are constantly being persecuted because of our faith. And it is in that statement that the prophet Isaiah comes uh, to encourage us uh, with uh, comfort uh, in light of the greatness of God. Uh, The text uh, is broken in uh, two very simple divisions, Uh, the first beginning in verse 14 with the words, thus says the Lord, and uh, that is uh, picked up again in verse 16, thus says the Lord. It's a great reminder that if the people of God Uh, We ought to have an attention that is riveted to the Word of God uh, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to give us wisdom uh, in light of our journeyings uh, into the distant land, uh, which is our eternal home. Uh, The first part of this uh, prophetic announcement uh, is that uh, God will destroy Babylon. Uh, The immediate audience, again, is Israel that will soon be in captivity, uh, but it is a comfort encouragement to us as well, because we live in a spiritual Babylon, a world uh, dominated uh, by a system that is opposed to God and that is given to the worship of idols, not unlike uh, the children of Israel that are soon to be taken into the Babylonian captivity. Uh, God identifies himself to Israel as a covenant God, 
who redeems and who is the Holy One of Israel. Uh, redemption speaks to purchase by ransom. For us, Christ is our ransom. Holiness is his entire separateness and his perfections from the idols that they had worshipped. Gets a great reminder that the children of Israel are going into captivity because they had become idolatrous. It's a reminder that you and I live in a world dominated by idols and we're to remain separate just as God is separate in all of the majesty of his perfections. Uh, the prophet also goes on to say that God is their creator king. From that, he's going to pick up one of the great themes of uh, the prophet beginning in chapter 40, that God is going to recreate the nation from the captivity of Babylon, just as he did from captivity in Egypt. As creator, he's able to affect a new creation. In my own mind, one of the most comforting doctrines of all the scriptures is that God creates. I mean, it's not a circumstance that you can find yourself in uh, that God cannot create you out of because of his sovereign perfections. He's able to move events and nations and peoples. He's able to speak a word so that we can continue in our journey. As king, he is also able to hold our allegiances as we serve under pagan kings and pagan rulers, perhaps presidents and mayors and council men and women, but God is our king. Is, he is the uh, true object of our allegiance and our worship. Uh, we live in a worldly system that's hostile to our faith, and yet our God is king. And as king, he protects us. And as king, he will see us all the way through to eternal victory. It's a good reminder in the application of theology that we need to have a clear understanding of who God is because of the nature of the times in which we live. And so uh, we come to a perhaps a better understanding of God and these uh, great markers of identity that he's the creator, he's the king, uh, he's the holy one, uh, again, who is to be the object of our worship, who's to purify us. The, the content of uh, the speech of the prophet is, as I have suggested, uh, the destruction of Babylon. Again, it would have been uh, a measure of hope to the children of Israel as they were carried off into captivity uh, by the most powerful nation of their day. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man of the day. And yet, here the prophet is uh, telling them that he will bring Babylon down. Uh, verse 14, I will bring them all down. The fulfillment, I think, is better captured for us uh, in uh, the prophet Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 2. We've looked at this verse previously, uh, but Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of a statue. Uh, the head of the statue is gold. It represents Babylon. And then in the latter part of his dream, he sees a stone. It's cut without hands. It smashes uh, the statue and breaks it into pieces, captured for us in the words of uh, chapter 2, verses 34 to 35. You continued looking till a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time, 
They became like chaff from the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Obviously, having a terminal fulfillment in Christ, he is that stone. His kingdom is going to fill the earth, and every earthly kingdom will be destroyed. Comfort to the children of Israel in captivity, comfort for the church as we live in dangerous times in enemy country, uh, knowing that Christ uh, will destroy everything that gets in his way because of who he is. In chapter 5, perhaps the fulfillment for Nebuchadnezzar, uh, his successor holds a debauched feast that included using the vessels uh, from the temple of God in display of his arrogance and idolatry. Meaning that he saw the gods of Babylon as being superior uh, to the God of the temple, to the God of the children of Israel. And the text says very simply, in a very compressed form, that very night he was killed. It's a great reminder, all who get in the way of God will be destroyed. None will live, none will survive. Uh, and his earthly dominion uh, passes to Darius and the Medo-Persian Empire. Just as the prophet declared, our reminder that these worldly empires come and go, but Christ is the ultimate king. It's a good reminder to me of a verse that we should all be acquainted with, uh, Daniel chapter 2 and verse 21. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and he establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. That is what to, is to hold us and our every allegiance in the fallen world in which we live. Reminded of this recently as I was really uh, reading a political magazine that described an event uh, uh, last May that occurred uh, a few miles uh, south of uh, Cairo uh, in which some uh, Islamic militants uh, hijacked a bus filled with Coptic Christians. Uh, they jerked all of the people off and told the men to recite, uh, I don't know what the great Shema of Islam is, something like, uh, there is one God and his name is Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. Something like that, but notwithstanding, all the men were to recite that. All of them refused and all of them were killed. What comfort is there in that? that they were faithful to the great God of heaven and refused to compromise their faith because God is the greatest of all and there is no other. That is the point of the text uh, that Babylon is to go down, uh, that the enemies of the church are an extension of the Babylonian world system and false gods. And for a season they may appear to have success, but in the end they will all be destroyed by the church and they will all be taken down by the power of God. What's interesting uh, in terms of the promise that Babylon is going uh, to fall, that uh, John has us living in a spiritual Babylon. Uh, Revelation chapter 14, verse 8, chapter 18, verses 2 and 4. An angel comes down and cries out, Fallen, fallen is Babylon. It's a reminder that the entire world system in which you and I live, which is opposed to God, 
is going down by the power of God. It's our reminder that as God brought an end to the Babylonian Empire, so too he will bring down spiritual Babylon. Again, very important text in uh, the prophecy of uh, Daniel that rivets my own attention. I trust it will as yours. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 26. It is heaven that rules. We might add it is heaven alone that rules and that it rules everything and nothing is outside the dominion of heaven because of who God is. Uh, the spiritual defeat of Satan and his minions at the cross uh, will eventuate in the entire collapse of the world system and the ultimate victory of the church. It's really what the prophecy of Isaiah is uh, to us as uh, uh, the people of God of the New Testament. Babylon is going down, and the church will, of course, abide victorious. Well, again, verse uh, 16, the text begins again with another prophetic announcement. Thus says the Lord, and here the content shifts from the identity of God and that Babylon is going down to the imagery of the first exodus and the first creation, meaning that God is going to begin again, recreate the nation and lead them in a new exodus. It's a great promise. Verse 16, he's going to make a way to the sea. Uh, he's going to bring forth the chariots and the horse and the army and the mighty man and they will lie down, and Isaiah says, and they will not rise again. Uh, the text, I think, is an allusion to uh, Exodus chapter 14. Uh, I mean, you know the great story of uh, Moses. Uh, he's to lift his hands, and the sea is parted. Uh, the uh, chariots of the army of Pharaoh will pursue the children of Israel, and then God tells him to uh, close his hands, and the sea envelops uh, Pharaoh and all of his armies and all of his chariots and his horsemen are destroyed. Exodus chapter 14, verses 28 to 29. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them, not even one of them remained. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. What the prophet Isaiah is telling the children of Israel uh, in captivity is that God will begin again anew and lead them in a new exodus uh, and again destroy Babylon and bring it and cause it to heal. It's a recapitulation of the redemption of Israel from Egypt. God is going to start again. Uh, it's going to form them uh, recreate them in a new wilderness, uh, again, using the language not just of the new exodus, but of uh, new creation. Very interesting to me that in Isaiah 43 that the, the language uh, uh, encompasses the provision of water. Sometimes we, we deal with the reality of that in Oklahoma. We, you know, supposedly we're in another drought. Uh, but if you lived, of course, in the wilderness of uh, Israel, of the Sinai, uh, the great need, demand for water, uh, the children of Israel perhaps coming out of Babylon, well, will we, will we have enough water? Will there be enough water? God says, I'll provide everything that you need in your journey. Uh, 
he says that there'll be rivers in the desert, verses 19 and 20, and drinks of the chosen people. Again, another conceptual allusion uh, to the book of the Exodus. Uh, Exodus 17 in particular, the children of Israel were thirsty, and God provides water. I think the Apostle Paul very likely has uh, this in mind in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in the fourth verse. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. That the source of the provision, old and new, is Christ. Something of the language of the Apostle uh, John writes in seventh chapter of his gospel, uh, whoever believes in me from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water, that you and I are sustained by the grace of God and the provision of Christ on each and every day that we live, and the provision captured in the imagery of water. I'm always reminded that People are always saying we're going to run out of clean water. Well, I don't know. Maybe we will. But Christians will never run out of the water, which is Christ, the constancy of his provision to keep and preserve his people in the midst of their wilderness wanderings, the source of the grace of God, the rivers of the living water, which, again, caused by the Spirit, that we will never go without of the provision of our great God. I don't know where in Oklahoma whether we're in a new drought or not. At some point, uh, it will certainly come because it always does. We'll look north and uh, the Great Lake that is so beautiful now, we'll see it retreat and the, the banks will be exposed and will be utter ugliness. But that can never be said of the church because of the Spirit of God, that we are full of the living waters because Christ is the ultimate source. Well, again, as you might imagine from the language of uh, Exodus and creation, uh, the ultimate fulfillment is in the church. Uh, and the Apostle Paul alludes to Isaiah chapter 43 in the reference to the new thing, that the old things uh, will pass away. Uh, I think the Apostle Paul alludes to this text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 17 to 18. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. You can see there the language uh, of Isaiah the prophet. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reminder that in the church that the new creation has begun in our reconciliation to God through Jesus Christ, that we are now at peace with God because of the reconciling work and provision of Christ, our great and only Redeemer. Love the words of Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. 
the only war of any eternal significance for us is over. Because of Christ, we have peace. And of all of the promises of politicians, all of the great peace treaties of the world, and one of my favorite is uh, the coining of the peace dollar after the celebration of the end of the First World War. All of it's a sham. None of it happens. The only true peace that has come and will come and will prevail is the peace that we have with God through Jesus Christ, that the war is over with and he has made us new. One of the best contemporary theologians on biblical theology, Beale, comments that God's reconciliation in Christ has begun to reverse the alienation introduced at the fall and a return to the peaceful conditions of the original creation has been inaugurated. In other words, the new creation, the new exodus promised to Israel from Babylon has a much more far-reaching, profound fulfillment in the church as the end-time creation of God who possesses reconciliation with God through Christ, the eternal creator of the church. Something of that in the words of the Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 2. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That Christ has created the church, the new creation. In other words, it's begun in Jesus. The last great final work of creation has begun in Christ. There was something of this, I think, in the use of uh, the animal kingdom. I don't know if you caught the, uh, the references in Isaiah chapter 43. Uh, the prophet references the beasts of the field, the jackals, and the ostriches. Is this another zoo we're being brought to? Why the references to these wild animals in the wilderness? that they perhaps are going to encounter as they return from Babylon to the promised land. Well, again, I think it constitutes a metaphorical description of the new creation depicted in man dwelling peacefully uh, with the animal kingdom. Exactly the theology of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 11, uh, verses 6 to 9. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. Metaphorical language describing the ultimate reality of the peace that Jesus Christ brings into the new created order captured in the imagery that is so stark to remind us of the power of God. I mean, I've traveled a great deal in the United States, driven by countless farms. I've never seen a wolf and a lamb feeding together. Generally, one is feeding on the other. The truth were known. 
But in the kingdom of God, his power is so great that he creates peace in the life of the church. Something of this, I think, is uh, captured for us in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, our Lord is driven into the wilderness for 40 days. There can be no doubt that that is a reminder to the reader that the new creation is beginning uh, because he's reconstituting a test captured in the 40 days in a testing of Jesus who now is the new Israel and that all who are in him will have peace with God. But notice, notice the language of uh, Mark chapter 1. In verse 13, he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, the great sovereign creator who can bring peace even with the wild animals. I think something of a reminder of that which was foretold by the prophet Isaiah, a reminder to us to conjure the great imagery of uh, of a little child playing by the hole of a cobra brings horror to our mind, but it's meant to describe to us the peace that God has created in the life of the church. If we've been reconciled to God, we can be reconciled one uh, with the other. And so the language of the Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14, speaking of Christ, he himself is our peace who made both groups into one that he brings together Jew and Gentile. Old Testament, that would have been impossible. Not with Christ, who is the great new creator who brings peace. I remind you of those words. He himself is our peace. Sometimes we, we borrow from the world, do we not? We get angry at people. We, we, uh, we leave the church over some non-essential reason. We need to be reminded who Christ is, the new creator, who is our peace. We get all upset over things that, in the great scheme of things, aren't very important at all. What we ought to be riveted on is Christ, our creator, who has established peace between God and man through the shedding of his blood. And therefore, he brings people who are diametrically opposed and creates peace. Very interesting, one of the wives of uh, one of the uh, Coptic Christians that was killed on the bus uh, that I described uh, a moment ago uh, and the dangers that we face in a godless, idolatrous world uh, said to those who killed her husband, we forgive you. What a great reminder of the truth of what God forges in a heart that's at peace with God. Christ himself is our peace. He makes the two into one. Uh, he brings together the nations by his power, all tribes, tongues, peoples, and nations, and makes them at peace because he is their creator. Think of that. Christ was with the wild animals in the wilderness. Well, of course, the 
great uh, application uh, from the Apostle Paul is uh, he creates the church. He is the sovereign Lord of the church, and he makes peace, not just with God vertically, but with all of us horizontally so that we can live in peace and show the world the power of the gospel. I'm reminded uh, that there's no warfare between the Trinity. They all work together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A great application that you and I may have different jobs in the world given by our great God, but that we are to be at peace even as the Trinity is at peace. Uh, ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, the Lord is its creator, and he forges peace. Of course, the, the end state of uh, the new creation, beginning of the church, Revelation chapter 21, verses 4 and 5, and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death, there shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, the first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, right, for these words are faithful and true. Uh, portends a final end to sin, misery, and the loss of communion with God of the old creation. What Isaiah is telling us and what Paul is telling us as he uses Isaiah is that that work is begun. It started spiritually in our hearts and forging peace. The greater fulfillment of the Exodus and creation imagery from Isaiah 43 is in Christ. The old order is marked for destruction. Conversely, all who have begun to participate in the new creation through Christ will go on to see sin eradicated, enemies vanquished, and glory manifested as the glory of God covers the earth. It is something, of course, of the measure of the gospel that you and I take to a fallen world, that there's only peace in the provision of God through Jesus Christ. Every other hope, every other gospel that says anything else other than that is utterly and entirely and totally false. God makes the peace through the gift of his Son. He forges it as the sovereign creator of our hearts. And he makes us new and puts us in his new creation, the church, where peace ought to reign. Reminder of his early teachings of the gospel, blessed are the peacemakers. And he makes it above all in the provision of himself to satisfy all of the enmity that existed between us and God through the shedding of his blood, provision of peace. Again, the promise of reconciliation. If you're not a Christian, notwithstanding how you might feel, you're at war with God, and it will not come to a good end for you. As God destroyed Babylon, so too he will destroy you. The summons is to come to God, Sue for peace, claim Christ, acknowledge that his shed blood of atonement 
is efficient to cleanse you from your sins. Sue for peace and come to him. Follow him all of the rest of your life. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard and keep your heart through the rest of your sojourning in this evil, dangerous world in which we live, all made so by the provision of God through Christ. I think it's also meant uh, to forge within us, like our Coptic Christian brethren, to be courageous and to be faithful because of who God is. He's the creator. He rules and nothing will stop him. He will gather all of his people and then issue in the fulfillment and the fullness of the new creation begun by Christ and the destruction of the old order and establishing that which is new and every tear will be wiped away and death will be no more. And in that sense, the child will play with the cobra by the power of God in Jesus Christ. Again, the invitation to come to the Savior in light of who he is and what happens to any who get in his way. Well, the purpose of the work of God, Isaiah chapter 43, is so that, verse 21, uh, his people will declare his praise. The people whom I have formed for myself will declare my praise. It's telling them that uh, beginning a new exodus, part of a new creation from Babylon, they will declare the praise of God. Uh, when we properly understand what he's done for us in Christ, that's the outcome. We declare his praise. Uh, something of an analogy of this in 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 9, where Peter speaks of the church as declaring the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into marvelous light. Again, that's new creation language. Darkness and light, a reminder of Genesis chapter 1, that darkness was over the surface of the deep. God said, let there be light, and there was light. That God creates it by simply speaking a word, and so too in the life of the church. He calls us out of darkness into light by speaking the commandment of his power, and we come to Christ. And the response, the immediate response, ought to be uh, declaring the excellencies of him who made us new, who's protecting us in this last great exodus by the provision of Christ our Redeemer. Again, a constituent part of life in the church is peace. In the midst of all of our agendas, come to the ultimate realization that the only thing that's of really any substantive importance whatsoever is the proclamation of the greatness and the majesty and the perfection of Jesus Christ, our sovereign Lord and creator. And if anything to propagate that, that it might advance until the glory of God covers the earth, a work that has begun in our hearts, begun in the church, covering the earth by the power of God. But another constituent part of the new creation, praising the excellencies of him who makes us new by his sovereign power.
that our great summons of life in this created order is to proclaim the glory of him. Great reminder from the Shorter Catechism. Chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That we ought to live our lives uh, proclaiming the excellencies of the greatness of God. That what God did for Israel, he's doing for us in the church in a much more intense and escalated way uh, because of Christ. Well, in a very compressed form, Isaiah chapter 43 is telling each of us this day that all of our enemies are going down. We're going to confront them. They may rage at us. They may come at us. Who knows, like the Coptic Christians in Egypt in May of this year, they may even kill us. But they cannot stop God's protection our resurrection, and the eternal glory that we are bound to inherit because of the gospel. Our enemies are going down. Again, meant to encourage us, infuse within our hearts courage to be faithful to God in light of who he is. The inaugurated new creation again will come in the fullness of the glory of God when he comes to rescue his people, to gather them, the great shepherd unto himself. And the spiritual will become fully realized in the physical and the material, and we will inherit everlasting, eternal glory, world without end. And so the message of the prophet we have peace with God. We are the new creation. We are God's new people. We are in the last great exodus. We will reach those distant lands and come into the majesty of the eternal provision of the gospel and that which is spiritual will become real and physical. I love the words of the Apostle Paul. I have not seen nor ear heard what God has for those who love him. Maybe there's some event in your life occurring in your present existence in which you're discouraged. Well, remember who you are by remembering who God is and what he's done for you. Jesus Christ, your creator, your redeemer, and the one who is the cause of peace between you and God and peace in your heart. And God will keep you May the word of God be your mainstay this day and all the days forevermore. Amen.